0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me on the show today is the president of the IM Academy and Harlem Gold Trotter. Please welcome Pee Wee Harrison to Self Made. Thank you for joining me on the program. I appreciate you, brother.
1: <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm happy to be
0: here. Absolutely. absolutely. So, look, you uh obviously have a very interesting background, uh, interesting life. I want to just kind of jump in and start just really as with your childhood. Uh, tell me, where did you grow up and kind of what was your childhood
1: like? Uh, I'm the second oldest out of 11 kids. That same mother, same father. We weren't Catholics or we weren't Mormons. My <laughs> mother and father just loved each other. <laughs> Grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, 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 you know, I grew up in the, uh, se- late 60s, 70s. So, uh, we was a very traditional family. My father was a Marine, so very structured life. And, uh, you know, just, uh, just, we were just kids and growing up and, uh, doing the things that kids do, take stealing apples out of apple trees and, and paper routes and all those things.
0: So what was it like growing up with, with 11 siblings?
1: Well, it it was interesting. When we first started off, uh, it was Eddie, Eddie's father. Then we turned into my three sons. (laughs) Then we turned into the Partridge family. Then we turned into the Brady Bunch. (laughs) Then we turned into Eight is Enough. And then we became the Nielsen Rating Service after that. But no, it, it was pretty good. And I look back growing up in Omaha. We grew up in the inner city. Uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to go to private schools. My dad uh, worked a lot of odd jobs. My mother did all the things that mothers do when you have that many kids, uh, especially all of them involved in athletics. Yeah. And so running to Vermont was a very good, good experience for me. Uh, we had a lot of great people there. Uh, we're known for being a polite city, a polite state. And so... Uh, I value my my Omaha years uh, greatly. So
0: what about high school? Where did you go to high school? And did you participate in uh, athletics at that point? I know, obviously, you became a basketball player, but talk to me about that.
1: Well, uh, you know what? I used to uh, think I was a comedian. And when I was in, uh, there was a Carol Burnett show, and the guy used to be the streaker. And he had this uh, Harvey Corman. He used to open up his jacket, and go, ah. Oh. So I saw that one day and I went to a Catholic school and uh, when things weren't going that right for me in the classroom one day, I just opened up my jacket and, yeah. went, uh, <laughs> and the nun fell out laughing. And then I went, Oh, I got something here, <laughs> you know? Right. So uh, the comedy was the first thing. And then athletically, you know, back when we were kids, everybody played basketball. We played all the sports, you know, yeah. that's just how it worked. And, um, uh, I uh, I got an opportunity to play uh, in high school at a school called Creighton Prep, which was a Jesuit school, a private school, but there was some academic discrepancies there, and I wasn't eligible to eligible to play. So I really didn't play high school basketball until I got to the 10th grade, the second half of my 10th grade, and I transferred to a public school, Central High School. That's where Gail Sayers went and... Uh, 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 Henry Fonda. Yeah, and so I, I okay career there, uh, and uh, then I ended up going to our Western Community College, and from there, I just went to Oregon, and then eventually getting a tryout with uh, Middle Ark Lemon's Shooting Star team. But it was it was it was it was it was, it was fun. It's different than nowadays. When we were kids, everybody played outside.
0: Right, right.
1: Everybody. We knew the court we was going to go to. We knew the playground legends. We had the OGs, so to speak. Right. They were always older. They would only play like a half a game. So uh, I was very fortunate. I was in a protective environment with a lot of my friends and family uh, in the Omaha area.
0: Yeah, when we were kids, uh, they used to have to make us come in the house. Now we have to make them go outside because they want to be inside all the time. So it's the opposite of uh, when we were growing up, same, you know, same era. Uh, Any challenges growing up, any particular challenges that you faced or had obstacles you had to overcome?
1: Well, um, inward, I came from a tall family. So I was the short guy. So that was a challenge for me. (laughs) But outwardly, outwardly, we were, uh, we were so involved in sports. I love sports so much that I just went to go play basketball anywhere. And the only challenge that I had was uh, not meeting my father's expectations when it came to being the best that I could be out there all the time. Yeah. That was the, that was the biggest thing with my dad was that we are born individuals, but we buy, buy duplicates. And he would always press me to go out there and do what you do best. Don't try to be somebody else. Right. And it took me a while to figure that out. And once I figured that out, I realized that what I was great at doing was making other people better. Yeah. And I relished in that. And that's when my book came out, The Perfect Assist. It's all about how people off the court assist me yeah. to help me get on the court to be successful.
0: So take me through this journey of starting You know your basketball career you know, post uh college. How did you you know end up you say you were with a team in Little Rock?
1: No, 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 no. I didn't go to Little Rock. I'm from Omaha. I was Clarenda, Iowa. What what
0: was the name of the, you, the you, first the you, you first team keep- the first team that you played with after college?
1: Uh the shooting stars. The
0: shooting stars, okay. Middle
1: Rock Lemon had just Yeah, Middle Rock Lemon had just left the Harlem Globetrotters, and he started his own team called the Bucketeers. Uh-huh. And then it was called the Shooting Stars. And everybody always billed us as the Harlem Globetrotters, because Curly was on the team, Middle-Ark was on the team. Right. All, so they, it was basically kind of like a walkout, and okay. the team just played under a different name.
0: And so what was that experience and like? And that
1: was a... Big, oh, man, I tell you what, it was the scariest thing in the world. Um, I When I was in college, I was one of the top assists uh and still guys in the country. Uh-huh. But back then, everything was typed. There was no uh, word and correction. Right. So someone typed that I was 6'9", instead of 5'9". <laughs> and so they were all paying my expenses, wanting me to come down, and I was ready to go. And it was exciting. Then when they found out I was 5'9", they said, well, we extended an opportunity to, uh, opportunity for you to try out. If you make it down here, Keep all your receipts. <laughs> and I went down there and I, and I remember uh, I didn't know, any, I'd never been to California before. And I thought Orange County was like going to Little Rock. Orange County is about 100 miles. So I lived in L.A. and the tryout is in uh, Huntington Beach. And all I had was a dollar, a dollar thirty to my name. And my father had to call his cousin to meet me at the airport. And it wasn't looking good. I didn't have any summer clothes because I'm coming from Oregon in the wintertime. I got all these heavy Nike sweatsuits on. Right. I get down there, I'm burning up on the bus. Don't know where I'm going. <laughs> and finally, my cousin, she gets me and uh, picks me up and I get to her house. And uh, I was able to stay there and catch a bus ride down to Fountain Valley. And that was scary. Because really? I didn't know where I was going. And I got... Uh, the the street was called Bolsa Chica, and I got off when I got off the Greyhound. I was looking for Bolsa Chica, and the guy told me it was across the street. But Bolsa Chica was about a ten mile street, so I didn't. So I just went to the end of Bolsa Chica, and I just ended up at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I was going, "What the heck am I doing down here, burning up in these hot Nike sweatsuits and these two bags?" And I called them on the phone, and they said. Hey, look, where are you at? I said, uh, I'm at Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> they said, we'll come and pick you up in a minute. I said, this ain't good. <laughs> this is not good at all. And, and uh, when the guy came and picked me up, he came and picked me up in a new Trans Am. And I said, at least I get to ride in a new Trans Am. Right. When he got me in the car, he said, we got Gator, we got Curly Neal, we got Shake Durham. Middle Ark doesn't like short guys. And I said, this is starting off well. As soon as they got me back to the training camp, I walk in, and I see all these guys. When I, You know, I'm a point guard, so I'm used to handling the ball. Now I see these guys seven-foot dribbling the ball up and down the floor. I'm going, what the heck is this program? <laughs> so as, as I'm walking down, I'll never forget this. A guy was laying on his back. The trainer was stretching his leg. And when I walked by, him laying on his back, his leg was higher than my head. <laughs> Wow. And I I saw a middle arc over there and I went over there and I said, they say, coach, this is a a guy from Portland. He didn't even smile. I'm thinking he's like I saw him on Scooby-Doo, Gilligan's Island. He's going to be laughing, smiling. Right. He wasn't that. Get him dressed. And boy, I tell you what, that's the first time I've ever felt pins and needles uh, in my hands and feet. So how did the the trial trial. tell tell me about the trial. Well, when I, when, once I got there, guys were bigger. I was a, a lot smaller than I was, you know, that, I wasn't peewee then. But uh, when we first went into trials, I don't know what to do. I ain't played with guys like this before. Right. And uh, I remember a guy elbowed me. And I'm kind of going, man, that's not nice, you know. He said, man, this is a job. And when he said that, I went in the locker room. And this is a true story. I went in the locker room, and I was just ready to quit. I didn't eat because I caught the bus, looked at my bag and my cousin had packed a lunch for me. I ate that lunch and I said, well, I'm going to just leave. At least I got a jersey. And then I said, no, you know what? I remember what my dad said. He said, can't nobody beat you being you. He said, go out there and do what you do best. I went back out there. There was 33 guys in the camp. They were only keeping two. I got a fast break. And I knew that I had to do something. I reared that ball back as fast as, I don't know if I jumped from half court or the top of the key, but I was going to dunk it. Yeah. And When I went for that dunk, I missed it. All the pins and needles fell out of my hands. And it was, it was an easy trial for me after that.
0: So what are some of the uh, memorable memorable experiences from your time uh,
1: playing? Oh man, I, (laughs) the one that I tell people that people never, ever believe. We were playing in Sweden. And when we go overseas, we play the professional teams overseas. We do a show, but we play the professional teams overseas. Yeah. You know, because they did, they, back then they wouldn't get a lot of American competition. So we're playing this uh, team. So we, the goal is to get up 10 points so we can start doing our comedy. Yeah. It wasn't happening with this team. They had seven <laughs> footers. But Meadowlark's in the game. And Meadowlark is about 60 years old, 62 years old. And they're killing us. And this seven-foot guy grabs the rebound and comes down. And he just happens to hit Middle Ark in the nose. Middle Ark took his hands like the color purple. (laughs) And he hit the kid, seven-foot kid, and he fell on the floor. Oh, wow. Then the stands start going crazy. People are throwing stuff at us. And Middle Ark said... Hey, I told you, don't be touching on me like that. Dude. And then the guy from New York, he was choking the guy from New York. And I'm sitting there as a new kid going, what the heck is going on? <laughs> and then the promoter comes in and goes, he's not playing. He's not playing. But what the promoter didn't know, Middle Arch didn't play in the third quarter because the third quarter is to build up the league. So we're playing in the third quarter and we're getting the game back going. Millard come up to the scoreboard and takes his fingers, which are about that long. Uh Uh-huh. And he pushes the button. He goes, he walks in the game. Everybody's booing him. I mean, in Europe, they throw stuff. Right. They're throwing cups. They're booing him. And then one time he did something I heard. Then I heard another person laugh. The next thing you know, he got these people eating out of the palm of his hand. They're laughing and they're enjoying the game. And it was like five seconds left to go on the clock. And we are usually, you know, five seconds left. They take a shot. I get the ball, pass it in the middle, arc, and and middle arc just holds it. And the crowd is going five, four, three. And middle arc is at the hash mark at the other end. He says, a tisket, a tasket. I'll think I'll make a basket. (laughs) And he shot a full court hook shot. Hit nothing but net. <laughs> the crowd went wild. And I tell people, if I wasn't there, I would have never believed that story. <laughs> but I saw him, like, if you talk to Will Chamberlain, well, Will Chamberlain and Connie Hawkins, they would tell you that he used to do that stuff night after night after night after night. And when I saw it, I said, man, I'm in the right place. <laughs> so, how long did you play? I played from uh, 1986 to. 2015, 14, okay. somewhere around the there. I think I, I'm the longest, I have the longest playing career with metal art, longer than any other person. Curly played like 11 years, Marcus May have played four or five years, but I played alongside metal art, uh, Lemon, longer than any other human being. So was this, that's like 20 Hey, 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 this is being recorded. We we, we don't need your cat. You already screwed up on the intro. We don't need you. cat. Anything right here now? Just says it was a, a season run. <laughs> that was yeah.
0: That was a that was a good run that you had. I put it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so tell me about the uh, the uh, I am uh, Academy. Well, I am Academy,
1: uh, so uh I've done a lot of stuff with youth, and there's a lot of intervention prevention programs out there. And uh mm. I wanted to do something different. So I was fortunate enough to to hook up with uh one of my mentors, two of my mentors, uh Ray Leary and Greg Brown, and they had the company called I Am Academy. But it was it was kind of the typical um service base. And I said, hey, look. Why don't we take this a little bit higher? So what we did was we created a program where we hire kids to go to school. So in order for a kid to be in our program, we, we get them a bank account uh, and they have to take financial literacy. And then we get them a job. But it, we're a career, we're a youth career based program, meaning that whatever career that kid desires, that's where we focus and push them in. So they could get paid for uh, attendance, they get paid for g- having a good grades, and they get cr- paid for extracurricular activities and some other things. The, the, the mentor piece, the intern piece is the killer. Like our kids will mentor, they will actually have a radio station. And they have radio stations in their school, but we have relationships with uh, radio stations where they mentor these kids, and the kids get paid to learn how to be a production manager, how to do lighting, how to do makeup, how to make it so that you don't look like you're sweating. <laughs> uh, uh, <they> got
0: <laughs> Shots fired.
1: So, so, we, and, and we, yeah. <laughs> so we're really excited about it. Uh, we're really excited about it. So our kids, our goal is to make sure that those kids graduate. But when they graduate, they're graduating with a skill. We even have a kid that's starting a lollipop company. Yeah. But he has to put the business together. We have a design company. We have one of the top designers, the shoe designers uh, in the country. His name is Guy Marshall. And our kids will actually design their own shoe over the course of the summer. Oh, wow.
0: So what was your inspiration? So we're really
1: excited about it. So what What uh-huh. was your
0: inspiration to start this uh, academy?
1: Well, the inspiration, the academy was already gone. We just shifted direction. We needed something, you know... Uh, we, we have to shift. And if we keep just pouring money at kids and hoping that if we get them a field trip or if we take them to the movies or buy them a pair of shoes, a tennis shoe, that that's going to change the behavior. What we're doing, we, we hire kids to invest in themselves. So when they wanted some Jordans, they ain't got to talk to mom and dad. They go, I can work for it. But I'm working for it because I wanted to be an auto mechanic. I'm working for it because I wanted to be an on-air personality. So we put all the we're accountability-based. The kids are accountable for all these things. And what we do is we just clear the pathway. We just, we just help them find the pathway to what they really want to do. And, man, we, we, we've had a lot of success with it so far.
0: So are, are there any uh, you know, kids that you, you, you've encountered through the program uh, that have left uh, an impression on you?
1: Oh man, I tell you what it's it's and it when when i when I first started working with uh Mr. leary and mr brown uh they thought i uh sometimes I was too hard on a kid, and this young lady uh she came in the first day she wanted to eat potato chips in the we had business luncheons, you know, but we had a presenter she's eating being rude, I said, "Hey, look, Sis, you gotta go, and she was hot blah, you know, and then. She uh got with Mr. Leary and Mr. Brown. She came back and apologized. She's my top student right now. Wow. She does the presenting. She uh and, and what I what I love about it is that it's what they want to do. Yeah. <clears throat> we 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 expose them to what they want to do and we pay them to learn, we hire them to learn more about what they wanna do. Right. So the retention is like I mean, our 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 attendance rate is very good. So our goal is to make sure that all our kids graduate from high school, because if they graduate from high school, they can go and get gainful employment, or they can look at going to college, or they're already an entrepreneur of yeah. uh, what they're doing their own thing.
0: What has uh, been, I guess, your inspiration? You know, has there been someone that inspired you uh, over the years to to really just go after your dreams and help you get to where you are
1: today? Well, you know, it's the interesting thing. I didn't even know what a dream was. I didn't even know what a dream was. You know, when I was a kid, I was just looking to see what interests me. And I told you when I saw the Carol Burnett show and I saw that somebody can make somebody laugh. Yeah. So I started uh, becoming a imitating people. And I didn't know where it was going to head. But then when I found about basketball and then I could merge the two together, you know, who would think that that would ever happen? comedy and basketball. Then I saw the Harlem Globetrotters play. And I remember me and my brothers and them were watching it. And I was kind of going, I wonder if they're seeing what I'm seeing. I'm seeing what I want to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And when I saw, when then when I got the opportunity to play with middle art, he wasn't with the Harlem Globetrotters. He had his own team, same routine, same everything, same players. And I'm kind of going, wow. I'm actually playing with the guys that I saw when I was a kid on Gilligan, Scooby-Doo, The Love Boat. Yeah. And when, when that happened, it was so, so surreal. And I was just fortunate that I was able to play with Curly. Curly was a good friend of mine. Marcus Haynes was a good friend of mine. I was, a, I was fortunate enough that I got to play with some of the ones that you would remember you know, I didn't play with these new the, 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 like Curly Blue and I never played on the same team or even in the same organization. But I got to play with middle art. Yeah, I got to play with I got to play, be with Marcus. I got to be with all these legends. I got to play with Pistol Pete
0: Wow,
1: He was on the team my rookie year.
0: So. So tell me uh, the role that your family and particularly your children as well, you know, play in your life.
1: Well, um, I had a military father, and um, my father was an example for me, you know, and I think everybody could say that in some cases about their parents, but my dad was really the example for me uh, on how to be a man. So all I knew was to cut grass, open the doors for ladies, take care of my sisters, take care of my, because I was on the upper echelon of the age group there, and So now when I have a family, I'm looking, I'm going, man, my dad had 11 kids and he did all this stuff. So with my kids now, I'm at the time in in my life where I enjoy watching them grow. I enjoy watching them experience new things. I enjoy having conversations with them to kind of direct them and, and, and not direct them to think like me. But I always encourage my kids. That, hey, we always got to have a mind frame where we're fair. Yeah. You can't give somebody else a label and, and, and worried about somebody giving you a label. No, we can't. Let's always function in fairness. You know, so my kids and my family uh, and my friends, I mean, uh, the, I, got, I, got a, I got a pretty cool family for me. You know, yeah. I got a pretty cool kid.
0: So what do you want yeah, your legacy to be? Six
1: starters and four. What would, what would you like your uh, legacy to be? My legacy, um, it's interesting that you say that because um, my father and mother died 60 days apart a couple of years ago. And my dad, I never heard him sing a song or anything. But then when it came to the song that they wanted to play at his funeral, my mother said there's only one song that he would want played. And I and I'm 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 trying to figure, Precious Lord. You know, he's a Mississippi boy. You know, it had to be a deep root gospel song. The song that my dad wanted to sing was "Let My Work Speak for Me." So if if if, uh, if there's a legacy, if I want a legacy, uh, I would want it to be to let my work speak for me. I know that in this lifetime, there's a lot of times with uh, family, friends, that there's misunderstandings and you're never able to reconcile those things. And sometimes we carry that heavy weight with us. I don't do open apologies. I would rather, you know, deal with directly whatever that situation was. Uh, But I would want my legacy to be that I was fair and uh, I was always willing to help uh, my brother, my sister, and m- my family, a stranger out. And I was going to be fair, you know. Well, uh, Peewee, I, I, as we
0: yeah. as we kind of wind the show down, uh, because we're about out of time, I just want to take uh, the time to tell you how much I appreciate you uh, taking time out your busy schedule to be part of this program and share your story uh, with my viewers and I want to thank you uh, so much for doing that for me. And I want to tell my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.